0: This morning, I can announce that on my recommendation, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has approved the appointment of Ms. Mary Simon as the 30th Governor-General of Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau making the announcement yesterday. Mary Simon has been named the new Governor-General of Canada. Uh, She is a longtime advocate for Inuit culture and rights. She will be Canada's first Indigenous Governor-General. She was born in the Nunavik region of northern Quebec. She says she's honoured and humbled by this appointment.
1: I would also like to thank Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth for placing her trust and confidence in me to represent her in this wonderful country of ours.
0: So Mary Simon now takes over as governor general. She has a... Probably a bigger job than other governor generals before her. Um, it's a largely ceremonial position, but she has a few things on her plate that she wants to deal with. So, uh, let's get some insight into exactly what she's facing and, and what the selection says. We're joined now by Dr. Daniel Bailan, who is the director at the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada and Department of Political Science. Um, doctor, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Thanks for the invitation. Now, before we get to uh, Mary Simon herself first, let's talk about the selection process, because there was a lot of criticism on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the vetting he did into Julie Payette, our last governor general that we all know, ended very, very badly. So he put together an advisory panel that provided him with a short list. Um, obviously, gives him a layer of insulation, but does it really make that much difference? Ultimately, it is the Prime Minister's choice, Right.
1: Yes, I think what what matters is not just having a good shortlist, but the vetting the actual uh, lucky winner, the person you want to become the the next governor general. And I think that they they didn't do that uh, properly with with Julie Payette. I mean, that was a train wreck what happened, obviously. And they they probably um, did a more thorough job in, in vetting uh, Mary Simon. She has impeccable credentials. She has government experience, a former ambassador, someone who participated in constitutional negotiations, uh, uh, so she knows the Constitution well. And she's not a celebrity like, like Julie Payette. Right. Uh, in a sense, she's known uh, by, uh, she, uh, before yesterday, she was known by insiders and people within uh, Indigenous communities, but uh, not, not really someone uh, who's a media personality, and it, it's not necessarily a bad thing.
0: No, you're <laughs> I mean, right, because, you know, you mentioned, like, Julie Piat sort of had that, that rock star image, the astronaut and all the rest of that, but when you talk about Mary Simon, she sounds like somebody who has dedicated her life to actually doing the work. Um, that she now brings to the Governor General's residence. You know, a very, very impressive resume. She seems like an ideal candidate for a number of different reasons.
1: Yes, and uh, it seems that she was even considered by by Stephen Harper uh, years ago. In the end, uh, he picked uh, someone else, uh, David Johnston, who was, by the way, an excellent choice, too. Um, And I think that having someone uh, with uh, these strong public service component of her, of her resume, someone who knows about government. She knows about protocol uh, and about how government works uh, as, a, as a former ambassador. She was also, uh, you know, chancellor of Trent University, which is another ceremonial position. Um, she, uh, she has a, a very impressive CV, so it's a, it's a strong choice. And, of course, there is the the fact that she's the first Indigenous woman, the first Indigenous person, to become Governor-General. But this is a stellar uh, CV, regardless of of that.
0: Absolutely, yes. Uh, But we can't um, overlook the fact that she is the first Indigenous Governor-General, given what's going on in our country right now, and how Indigenous relations and Indigenous issues are front of mind for so many people. And she has said that's going to be an important part of her mandate and reconciliation will be part of her goal. So she's, I mean, that's obviously wrapped into this whole appointment.
1: Yes, absolutely. This is clear when you go back and listen to what the prime minister said yesterday and what Mary Simon said. And as she mentioned, you know, uh, reconciliation is a very long road. This is one step along this road. But this is a symbolic gesture on the part of the prime minister. Uh, We have, there are so many issues on the ground, uh, uh, challenges on the ground. So recognition is important, and, and nominating people to key positions is a step in the right direction, but you still have people, uh, uh, indigenous peoples on reserve who don't have access to clean water, running water. Uh, You have uh, enormous disparities in in education outcome in in terms of poverty rates and so forth. So a lot of challenges. And also there is our past that we are uh, uh, addressing now, the residential schools and and other issues, and also the revival of indigenous languages, uh, which is something that she put uh, to the fore because she uh, she spoke uh, in Inuktitut uh, yesterday quite extensively. Uh, she said, only one you know one sentence in French. There was quite a bit of English and also Inuktitut, yeah. which is something uh, um, entirely new for uh, for Governor General.
0: Um, and as you say, that that's going to be key for her. But as Governor General, how much can you really do? Like you said, it is a largely ceremonial position. So in her. In her role as Governor-General, and, you know, she says she wants to deal with reconciliation, how much can she really do, and how can she go about actually affecting change?
1: Yes, you're right. So, obviously, the Governor-General is important from a constitutional standpoint, the position, although, under most circumstances, the Governor-General doesn't have uh, autonomy to, you know, will just sign the bills that uh, are adopted by Parliament, will will not, will not have much... Uh, decision-making of her own, except if there is an issue like prorogation that comes up or uh, dissolving Parliament and so forth, and in the context of the current context of minority Parliament, uh, the role of the Governor General, from a constitutional constitutional standpoint, I- is I- is even more uh, important. But it's true, most of what she will do uh, is ceremonial in nature. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, having her speak in in publicly regularly will, I think, uh, help many Canadians be sense. You know, start to to um, to be. More more exposed to indigenous languages, uh, the fact that uh, she, um, she will certainly also uh, spend quite a bit of time in indigenous communities might help in terms of the reconciliation process. But as I said, this is just one step among many, many yeah. other steps that are necessary on this long road to reconciliation. So I think we should not, um, we should understand that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is just a small step. But uh, it is uh, significant, and, and many people yesterday have stressed the fact that uh, it was uh, an historical uh, moment, but again, uh, uh, it, it should not uh, obscure the fact that there is so much more uh, things to do moving forward in terms of reconciliation.
0: Absolutely, without a doubt. The other thing she talked about, uh, and the Prime Minister talked about yesterday, was uh, returning some dignity to that office, as we've talked about, Julie Payette, Um the governor general position, as we've said, is very ceremonial. It seems like it's a pretty hard one to screw up. It, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of like you just, you do the ceremonial functions and, and things like that. And other than that, there's not a whole lot that you can do to make it go south. Julie Payette found a way, but how does she go about sort of restoring some of the dignity and and, and you know, the regality that comes along with being governor general?
1: Yes, I agree that this is, you know, normally it should not be, you know, it's not rocket science.
0: No, no.
1: <laughs> but uh, uh, normally it's, uh, but you need to know again the constitution and know the institutions how they work, and you need to have a personality that's, you know, good social skills and be able to work with people because she will interact with a lot of people from different backgrounds from all over the country uh, for a year for for several years at least. Um, so um, and I think she was vetted properly. So I think she has uh, some one with so much experience someone who is so respected in government circles I think this elevates the position, and uh, it's certainly uh, someone who has the potential to restore dignity uh, to the role. At the same time, uh, things happen. (laughs) There are surprises. And, and, you know, she will be under pressure. There are some people who would like her to take a more active or political voice. But as a governor general, uh, she has to follow protocol, right? Uh, And and she she has to remain uh, as neutral as possible, certainly nonpartisan but even beyond that. And, and as a former ambassador, she knows the drill. But she will be under tremendous pressure, including from people in indigenous communities and other people who will want her to have a strong voice. But, you know, there will be a compromise here in the sense that she might not be act exactly like previous governor generals, but there is a, an institutional setting here, and she has to follow the basic rule, rules uh, that are really attached
0: to this position. The one thing that people are pointing out and have a lot of concerns about, and I get why, when we're talking about vetting and we're talking about, as you said, somebody who is supposed to be completely nonpartisan and not beholden to the Prime Minister in any way, it's supposed to be just a representative of the Queen, she has ties to the Trudeau Foundation. Well-documented ties to the Trudeau Foundation. How big of a concern is that? Is that not a conflict of interest?
1: Well, the Trudeau Foundation is really arm's length and is not directly related, you know, she also has, you know, she used to work for the CBC and so mm-hmm. forth, uh, but she received, um, you know, she was involved in the Trudeau Foundation, but I don't think it's it's really a, a, major, a major factor here. Many people have been involved with this. And again, it's arm's length, it's not political or, or partisan, so yes, there is a name Trudeau, uh, but it's not something that's controlled by, you know, uh, uh Justin Trudeau, uh, or his government. So I think that th- this, this is not, I um, I'm not too worried about that per se, this is not like, you know, something like witchery charity or things we talked about earlier, where they were real, I think, concerns, I don't think this is a, a, a major issue.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't know how involved they are in things like that, but I think there, there's going to be that hanging over her, at least in the early days here, because I mean, it, it's, a, it's a major concern for a lot of people. Um, and it, I don't think it will overshadow uh, the other parts of her resume that we talked about earlier, But but certainly it's going to be something that she has to deal with. And she's going to be asked about it.
1: Yes. The fact that she was sponsored by, by Stephen Harper, I think, shows that she's not someone who is, I would say, partisan in the sense of being a liberal or a conservative. And I think that's the most important thing here uh, moving forward. Uh, but certainly, when you look at her resume, she has done so many things.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
1: Uh, yes. And so you can, uh, depending on, you know, you, what's your perspective you might find things in a resume that you know uh, are, are um, you know you may find you may find uh, uh, maybe not as uh, as interesting or relevant or maybe even some that you find problematic, but overall, I think she has a stellar resume, and it is very hard to accuse her of being, uh, uh, you know, a partisan hack. Uh, that That is quite clear to me, and the Trudeau Foundation is not a partisan operation or anything like that, so I think that was part of the vetting process, too, and I, I think I'm, I have no concern about this moving forward, but of course, she, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. So someone can have a great resume, great life experience. And uh, problems can can emerge. Uh, again, people say, well, as I said earlier, it's not rocket science. If you understand the the role and you actually uh, follow the, the processes that are in place, uh, it, it's something that is actually requires quite a bit of work. They have full schedules. They oh, do yeah. a lot of things. A lot of it is, you know, uh, opening ceremonies of this and that and so forth, but it's still work. Um, at the same time, uh, uh, you have to show... Uh, you know, it, uh, again, you have to uh, you have to make sure that you you can uh, um, uh, be uh, project this image of neutrality, and that is something that will happen uh, uh, in in the forthcoming months and years. And the way she uh, uh, she will handle her role in terms of a relationship with the prime minister and also uh, interaction with uh, with uh, Canadians from coast to coast to coast.
0: Uh, and last one here, uh, of course, we haven't had uh, we've had a an opening in this since January, January, and we know a federal election is looming. So getting her in place, she was asked about that yesterday. She says the Prime Minister hasn't spoken to her about an election, and she's, and the Prime Minister says he hasn't raised it with her. So uh, apparently they haven't discussed it yet, but having her in place would be yet another indication that we're putting everything in order to have an election campaign begin sooner rather than later.
1: Yes, I think it's fair. Uh, you know, they waited more than five months to to appoint someone uh, to the the post. I think, you know, Richard Wagner, the the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court uh, uh, has been uh, fulfilling the kind of formal constitutional duties of the Governor General since January 21st the day uh, Julie Payette resigned. Uh, it would have been really awkward for the Prime Minister to go to see the Chief Justice who yeah, exactly. <laughs> asked for dissolution and uh, elections, right? So I think, yes, this is one more um, sign, I think, this that, that, you know, elections might be coming, but she won't be installed before Uh, I think August next month Um, and I'm not even sure that the Prime Minister knows whether he wants to trigger elections or not. I think they are looking at the polls very carefully Mm -hmm. and this is about, you know, political calculus, and they won't be, Parliament is not sitting this summer, so there won't be any confidence vote soon. So if we have elections in, say, September, it will be because the Prime Minister will make that move. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that he even knows. I think it's on the, on the table. It's a possibility. But they they, uh, they look at uh, all sorts of things, because they don't want to trigger elections and then go go back to square one, which is having another minority uh, government. But you know... Co- Uh, Even if they are ahead in the polls right now, uh, campaigns matter. And it's always a risk to trigger uh, uh, an election as a prime minister, uh, especially uh, during a pandemic, even if things have improved on the ground.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Lots of campaigning seem to be underway. But, uh, Doctor, thanks so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. Have a great day. You too. That is Dr. Daniel Bailan, who is the director at the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada and Department of Political Science.